This is a Seven West Media podcast. Welcome to News Fix from Seven News. I'm Cyan Doherty. Thanks for joining me. Speaking of social media, this is going viral. Everybody's been using this app called Face App. Have you guys heard of it? It's creepy. If you've been thinking about having fun with that app that ages you, well, it's all the rage. The so-called Face app uses artificial intelligence to allow users to alter their appearance, including... Scroll through any social media feed at the moment and you'll see friends and celebrity faces aged a few decades. It's thanks to Face app, which is going viral for its hilarious and realistic-looking depictions of our future selves. Want a different smile? Done. Want a preview of what you might look like in 50 years? Bingo. The recent... But once we accept the app's terms and conditions, what are we really agreeing to? And why are some people saying it's potentially dangerous? I asked tech expert and futurist Steve Samatino. Hello. Hi, Steve. Is that you? It sure is. Just, just give me one sec, one sec. No worries. So we carry around the technology in our pocket, but there's no doubt that this technology will enter our body. There's no doubt that we'll have microchips inserted into our body. So it's probably, you know, there's no doubt that the microchips will drive our cars and we'll put our kids in robot cars that drive them to school. So we should probably sort out some of the challenges now before we get to that stage. Steve Sammartino is a world-renowned futurist. He looks at technology, society and the economy to predict where the world is headed next. All right, Steve, well, let's start with the most basic point, and that is what is FaceApp and how does it work? What does it do? So FaceApp is an artificial intelligence engine which takes a photo or a picture of someone's face and then it manipulates that photo. And it has a number of ways it can change it. It can make you look older. It can make you look younger. It can do a what they call a gender swap. It can add other things to your face like different hairstyles and glasses and beards and put different backgrounds in. It could even put a tattoo on your face if you're so inclined. Of course, it's gone. It's been around since 2017, but it's gone viral in the past week. Why? Good question. Uh... The first time the app went out, it wasn't nearly as good as it is now. It's actually a really great example of how good AI is getting at uh, manipulating uh, imagery of faces. It's probably the best one that we've seen that is as quick and as easy to use, where you just take a photo within a few seconds. You could get an old version of yourself or a young version. So I think the reason that it's uh, gone quite viral is because it's probably the best example and the easiest example to take a photo of yourself and, and change it so dramatically. So they've improved the technology in the last couple of years? Yeah, the technology has improved. And not just for this firm, FaceApp, but basically for everyone. Um, one thing that's interesting about these types of deep learning and machine learning technologies is that they get better and better with the more images they have. So basically, the amount of data that gets put into uh, the database, the better these technologies get. And the longer the technologies have been around, the better they get at uh, estimating what things will look like. And because it has gone viral this week, obviously that improves it you know, out of sight. How many people have been signing up? As of yesterday, it was about 150 million people. 
And, and that's a lot. That's a huge amount for um, an app to be downloaded. It took Facebook, you know, nearly 10 years to get 200 million people. Of course, Facebook now has 2.35 billion, but that's really significant. And we need to start thinking about that in terms of population. You know, in Australia, we have less than 30 million people. So that, that tells us, you know, it's half the size of America, uh, the amount of people have downloaded. So it's really significant numbers. And of course, when everyone, when you download the app, because honestly, I saw it, thought it was hilarious and downloaded it myself. And as usual, it pops up with the terms and conditions, didn't read them, pressed accept. What did I accept? Yeah, so the terms and conditions uh, inside it, you basically gave an ongoing and irrevocable license in perpetuity to the app uh, founder company to use your photos how they wish for commercial purposes, to turn them into ads, to manipulate them now and into the future any way they want, and even to, to make money out of it. You're, you could see your face on a billboard driving to work tomorrow, an old version of you selling, I don't know, something that says, use our cream so you don't age this way, who knows? You, everyone has signed up for all of the photos that they put up there to be used in any way. Uh, and also one of the interesting things is, even if you say no to it having access to your camera roll, uh, it still gains access to those images. So it's, it's got some pretty draconian terms and conditions. But it's kind of interesting and strange in that this isn't new. This isn't something that is just with the Face app. This is the same situation. I mean, it's not just wireless labs. This is what Facebook, this is what Google, and this is what Amazon do. And of course, no one reads the terms and conditions there. But what sort of information are we handing over to these companies? Basically, what we're doing is we're handing over all of the images that you have in your smartphone all of your website history, all of the apps that you use, uh, when they use them. You're even telling these companies by stealth when you go to bed at night because they know, based on where your phone moves, where your bedroom is, and they know that when it stops moving around, the gyrometer in it, and when you put it down next to your bedside table, that that's what time you went to bed. Uh, they know where you are at all times, wow. and so they geolocate you. So they pretty much know everything that you do. If you do it in a digital way, than these companies know. And it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost pretty much everything that you do online that's digital. If it has any form of digital knowledge in it and it's in your phone or your websites, they know. And sometimes they even know things that you do that aren't based on your phone, but based on where you go, where they're picking up information and you're at the other end of it. So, for example, when I look into Google Maps, it automatically pops up with where my house is and where my work is, stuff so, like that. Uber's a good one for that. So, right, so on Uber, and I know this, I use the service because as, as we all know, opting out is really hard. I mean, how do you opt out from using these companies? They're such an important, you know, life force in, in today's world mm. digitally. So I've never ever told Uber that it is my home. It has requested a couple of times saying, is this your house? And I've never said it, but it knows that that's my home because it's the place I always go to. So it just makes an implicit assumption and then does it that we call this uh, you know a digital shadow and so what we can do is we can create digital twins and digital shadows through uh, inferring the gaps missing in the information it's almost like you have a picture of a person's life and even though there might be a few little pixels missing from that picture you can still see the picture of what that person's life is and sometimes people who aren't even online they have profiles of people uh, Facebook does it 
They have profiles of people, shadow profiles they call them, of people who aren't even on Facebook, but they pull together a profile of that person based on all the other people that refer to that person. So if that maybe, is that like if a parent posts pictures of their kids and stuff like that? Yeah, exactly. So uh, a classic example, and this is a, a worrisome one for parents, is that many children today use Chromebooks in our public schools. And Chromebooks and, and Google power uh, the ability to do you know projects and you know using the software for good purpose and even though the child doesn't have a login like a personal login they log in through the school's login they have profiles for all of the children that go to the school they estimate their age what they're into what they like based on uh, them all logging in you know individually on those different uh, Chromebooks. And that's through the school, so obviously you can't opt out there. Yeah, that's the problem. The problem is is that opting out in the modern economy is not an option. And so the reason that you and I both don't read the terms, actually I have read them, uh, but by the way, did you know there's 21,323 words in the Alexa terms and conditions? No, and if you I had, did not yeah, know there that. is. And so if you, yeah, no one does. That's why I say, did you know? Uh, and mind you, uh, if you had to read all of the terms and conditions in your average uh, week of using the internet, you would need to read more than 2 million words. Most of it is in complex legal terms, and that's more words than the average undergraduate legal student reads in their degree. Wow. And so what we have is a situation where it's impossible for us to read the terms and conditions, A, because we haven't got the time, the companies know it, and it's very hard for us to say no because... You know, how do you go through life and not use email at work or not use your smartphone or, you know, how do you do research as a student and not use Google? It's, it's incredibly complex to go through life. It's, it's kind of like not using electricity. If you want to participate in the modern economy, then it's incumbent upon us to have this information and have access to these tools. And so the companies are highly unregulated because it's a new technology mm. and lawmakers don't understand it. And so they just kind of make up their own rules. And because you don't have time and because everyone's on it, you clicked accept and then you just get on with your life and let these apps just, you know, do their thing on your phone. But, I mean, getting back to Face App, who are we giving permission to there? Who is owning that? Yeah, so the company comes out of uh, Russia in St. Petersburg and they're called Wireless Lab. Uh, so it's a, a private company based in St. Petersburg. Uh, their information is stored in Google and Amazon servers, which is mostly in the US. But the issue with who has the information that we put in, this is where it gets really interesting, is that firstly, we need to understand that when companies get hacked, 99% of hacks that happen, we never find out about. So a company gets hacked and most times the company doesn't know they've been hacked. It's like someone comes in, because you can steal data and it's still there. Mm. It's really different to robbing a house. If you, if you rob, and I'll just use a metaphor here. If you rob a house and someone steals your TV, you know it's not there when you get there and you sit down and you watch it next time. Data's not like that. See, data can be stolen and it stays where it was. And so that mere nature of it means that it's very, very difficult to track sometimes when things have been stolen or hacked or that information has been leaked. So it's really complex from that perspective. And the other thing is that data on its own, sometimes when it gets stolen from a single company, is not that dangerous. When it gets dangerous is when uh, data gets put together from one or more hacks. So, so I'll give you an example. Um, let's say that, uh, you, that Uber got hacked, okay? 
And you say, well, that's fine. Uber doesn't really know much. They just know that sort of, you know, I went to the city that day or, you know, I got an Uber home late on a Friday night because I couldn't drive because I had a couple of drinks or, or whatever. And you, you say to yourself, well, yeah, it's unfortunate they got hacked, but they, uh, our credit cards didn't get hacked. Just our driving logs of where we went got hacked. And you'd say, and it's anonymized and, you know, it's, it's no problem. But then let's say that the MyGov health thing got hacked. And you say, well, that's okay, because that's been anonymised as well. And even though they know that this p- patient with this code number went to this GP and had this problem, we don't know who the person is. But then when you match up the Uber hack and the MyGov hack, all of a sudden we might be able to know that Steve went to this doctor and that doctor got hacked at the exact same time in the exact same place. And now we know who his medical data is based on his geolocation from where he went on that Uber. So it's when you overlay a number of hacks together that they paint a new picture and then they put the pieces together and then that can be used against you. How? Sort so of, that's an example of sort how of that works. In what way can that be used against you? Because if, say it's just you know, a regular person going to the doctor and they have an average medical condition. Why does that matter to a random hacker somewhere else in the world? Well, it can be, it can be used against you. Well, let's say that you've got um, a medical issue which is private. So that could be used against you in a phishing scam or that could be used against you uh, in a way to bribe you that they'll release the information because they know who you are and that uh, it could be very private to you. That's just, just one example. Um, it, it could be something that has an impact on your ability to get health insurance or a job. You might be, let's say someone has an alcohol problem and they saw a doctor about that and they could say, we'll tell your employer. You know, there's, there's all, all manner of things. I mean, it's just limited only to our imagination. But the reason it's hard for us to put these things together is because you can't imagine the circumstances that you know different people are in and how they, they can affect your work or your employment or, or your health or, or your finances. Right. And in the case of FaceApp, you're handing over all of this data about, well, your face. How could that be used against you in the future? Yeah, well, well the thing that's super interesting is that we're, we're moving to a world where our, everything physical will be unlocked with biometrics. And so at the moment we unlock our house and our cars with keys. And the keys used to be physical things that were made of metal and then they became electronic things that we had little swipe cards like we used to get into the office. Very soon that's all gonna go away and the thing that we're going to use will be biometric scanning. And biometric scanning is uh, unique things that we have with our bodies only, things like fingerprints or iris scans or our face or DNA, and that'll be used to give us access to everything from our house, our car, our bank accounts, our money. And while this hasn't happened in a great deal yet, it has to open up your phones and and certain things, very soon that'll be the way of the world. And so when you hand over these pieces of information, basically giving people a master key, a copy of the key that we'll be using in the future to open up important things in our lives. And so by Thinking about sharing information that can be used in different ways to the way that we're doing it becomes really dangerous when we move to an era where our face is something that is, should be our own copyright. It's something that we're going to use as a measure of security in the future. And so certainly when you have artificial intelligence which can manipulate your face so that it knows what you look like five years from now, that's, that's the perfect storm for you to be hacked five years down, down the track 
when uh, you're not thinking about it and the, the time has already passed. And of course, the most obvious example of this that I can see right now is, you know, an iPhone. You know, you use your face to log into your phone, but that's actually on the device. How is it different if it's on the cloud, if this information's on the cloud? Yeah, so Apple is, is far more secure in this, and they're probably the most secure out of the big tech companies. The way they do it is uh, the information is stored on your phone. So that means that it's on the device in your hand. The way this company works and with its app is that it's done on their servers. So the word server is really just a fancy word for big computer. Let's just, let's just call, think of it as a computer warehouse. And so instead of the intelligence being done on your phone, so Apple with the uh, fingerprint and the face, it actually does it on your phone and keeps all of that information that unlocks your phone with your face on your phone. So if Apple servers got hacked, it wouldn't have that information. But with this uh, company here, what they've got is um, they have it, Wireless Labs have it on their servers. So if their servers get hacked, then it's got all of the people's faces uh, and, and the imagery there. And you mentioned that it's a Russian company, so obviously there's a different culture there. I mean, for one thing, they got in trouble back in 2017, didn't they? Because there was, you couldn't only see yourself as a different age, but a different race, and that was very controversial and um, isn't part of the app anymore. Um, but obviously their government is very different as well. So if something's stored on the cloud in Russia, does the government have access to that, or is that a possibility? Yeah. Look, I mean, this is, this is interesting here, and this is where we get a little bit political, but yeah, you know, for, for the sake of the listeners we, we have to be honest it does turn out that uh, countries which have I'm going to say lower standards of democracy than we might have in Australia or America uh, it's pretty clear that the governments can interfere with private companies and and pretty much demand access to anything that they have we know that uh, China has the great file firewall of China and all their big technology companies feed all their data straight into the, um, the government's data warehouses uh, there's evidence that that happens in Russia and other countries. It must be said too that Australia and America, uh, most of the information that goes through uh, big tech companies also goes into the NSA, the National Security Agency uh, data warehouse, and Australia participates in that, and we also store metadata. But the issue isn't so much that our governments store data on us. I mean, we know that they have that with our driver's licence and our passports in any case. The, the real question is, is our government likely to use it in a nefarious way? And I think that you have a much lower probability of that in America and Australia and more democratic countries than you do in Russia. So we do need to be concerned because different countries have different track records of democracy. And, you know, foreign states and certainly, uh, you know, the previous communist states tend to be a little bit more draconian and a little bit more forceful to... Their, their companies and take whatever they want and use in any way that they want. And we've just handed over all of our photo photo rolls to those countries, essentially. No, we no, we have. We have. And look, we already do do that with Facebook and Google and so on. But I mean, it really is interesting that it, it takes an app coming from a foreign country before we actually stop and go, ooh, what are we doing here? And that, that for me is the most interesting thing, is that we probably should be concerned not just for this organisation, but in general what we're handing over. It's, it's kind of interesting now that we're starting to think about it. But it's, it's like you say, you can't just stop participating with these things because this is life now. You know, you can't avoid them. What, what can you do apart from deleting everything? Well, I think there's a couple of... Yeah, it's a good question. What can you do? I think there's a couple of really important things. I mean, nothing changes in our world 
until we have awareness, right? And that's what the news is all about. That's what journalism is all about. And that's what, you know, thought leaders in industries, you know, me making commentary and technology is about. Our, our job is to educate people on what's important and to tell them why it's important and show them the stuff that's hidden, right? And technology is a really tricky one, digital technology, because it's not obvious. You can't see it. Like, if we have an industrial company polluting a river, we can see it. We can see the dead fish, you know, floating to the top. But it's much, much harder to see problems in technology. And so what we need to do is we need to regulate, but we need to regulate in a way that's smart and innovative. We don't want to stifle innovation, but what we do want to do is have terms and conditions and laws that everyone can understand. So the first part is awareness. And then once everyone's aware and people go, gee, I don't want that. I don't want people to have, yeah, I want to use the tech, but I don't want all of this information out there about me. Then we need to sort of have a conversation about, okay, what does good look like? What would some laws be? What, what boundaries would be put around this technology to make it a bit safer for everyone to use? And, and the analogy is it's almost like we've got to put seatbelts on the technology like we did on cars. You know, put ABS brakes and, and airbags in, you know, and have EPA standards on factories and, you know, have workplace health and safety. The thing that we need to remember is that those things didn't exist. There was no such thing as workplace health and safety at the dawn of the Industrial Revolution. And, you know, the first Model T car had wooden brakes. <laughs> it didn't work very well, right? <laughs> Can and, imagine, and, yeah. And, yeah, and, and, and companies like General Motors fought in Congress against having to put mandatory seatbelts on their cars. I mean, it, it's, no company self-regulates out of the goodness of their heart. And I'm a lover of the technology, and I think that uh, our future is going to have more technology in it and more power to us as a society because I think it's wonderful. But what, what I want to do is say that, okay, what, what are some of the things that we need to change so that we can have access to the power without the downside? And we can do it. And so the first thing is awareness, and then the second thing is smart regulations so that um, we get a civilised society and more respect around the technology and the people using it. I guess just finally then... We can't really live without some of our social media channels, Uber, you know, we've got to participate in the world. But should we delete FaceApp or has that ship sailed? Oh, look, I think that ship sailed, right? Honestly, I really do. And look, if people want access to your photos, they can do it. Here's, here's some better advice than deleting the app. Here's some better advice. Whenever you're surfing the web or on your phone, use a VPN. A VPN is a virtual private network. You can download little free apps and $1 apps. You can have it on your, your laptop and your smartphone. Delete your cookies and just think about simple things like what information am I leaving behind? So, the, the, yeah, and don't log in with Facebook and Google when you log into other websites. Use your email because when you log in using, you know, the simplicity of just logging in with Facebook is that what you're doing is then Facebook is basically jumping in your back pocket and following you all around the internet. So there's just some simple things that we can do to give ourselves a little bit of privacy and, uh, and you know, have the discussion. The other thing is, is to, to tell people, you know, if you listen to this, tell some other people about what you learn because the more we have a conversation with each other, the more we're aware and then the more we can shape the technology, keep all the good stuff and civilise some of the stuff which, you know, is, is probably not ideal for society. Is there anything else you want to add, Steve, or are you happy with... I'm good. If you're happy with this information, it's a pretty cerebral chat, wasn't yeah. it? We went pretty deep. Yeah, I love it. That was futurist Steve Sammartino.
That is your news fix for this week. Every week we'll dig a little deeper and go behind the headlines. Please subscribe if you have a moment and send us your feedback to podcasts at seven.com.au. News Fix is produced by Seven West Media. Supervising producer is John Buck. Our executive producer is Nikki Hamilton. And the director of news and public affairs is Craig McPherson. I'm Cyan Doherty. Thanks for listening. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.